Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night. No matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no hollow, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul. Whatever thou be, until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome back to Scared to Death, Creeps and Peepers. I'm Dan. Hey, Dan. I'm Lindsay. Hello. And uh, a lot has happened since we recorded last week's show almost two weeks ago. Yeah, we've received a lot of messages asking why in our last episode we hadn't addressed the murder of George Floyd Mm -hmm. and the subsequent protests and riots that followed. And the short answer is... We record so many of these episodes ahead of time just to make sure that new content is brought to you every week on time. And sometimes a lot can happen in the world between the time we record Mm -hmm. and the time that the episode comes out. Absolutely. And a lot of people, based on the comments I read online, uh, very quick to pick apart anything you say and read into things. And it's you know more important than ever to really take time to understand an issue before you speak on it so you can intelligently and properly address it. Absolutely. And of course, we believe that Black Lives mm-hmm. Matter. We're saying it right here, right now. We've always said it and we've always believed it. But we just wanted to make sure that we were saying it properly and, mm-hmm. and that we weren't doing anything to denigrate the movement, like what happened on Blackout Tuesday. Absolutely. Yes, Black Lives Matter. And please don't politicize that. That doesn't mean that blue lives don't matter to us. Uh, that doesn't mean that other lives, you know, don't matter to us. It means that right now, you know, uh, 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 black lives need America's help more than any other race, you know, just due to systemic racism and disproportionate uh, arrests, incarceration, law enforcement related killings of African-American citizens. That's a problem that anyone interested in doing just a tiny bit of research can find a lot of evidence for historically, statistically, anecdotally. Does that mean that all cops are racist? Absolutely not. You know, does it mean that just like in any other profession, racism still exists? Yes, of course. And while we, you know, shouldn't uh, have racism in any profession, we absolutely can't stand for having it in law enforcement. That's just a profession that must be held to a higher standard. Yeah, absolutely. And and we believe very strongly in the very American right to protest and stand up 
for civil rights, and we're always interested in being on the right side of history. Mm -hmm. And and just to be clear, for those of you who don't know us, we have supported a variety of social justice causes for a long time, both personally and professionally. Mm -hmm. And as a company, uh, Bad Magic Productions, through the support of our incredible fans and our very strong Patreon subscribers, we've been able to donate to social justice causes like the Equal Justice Initiative for the past Mm -hmm. two years, and we will continue to do so for as long as we possibly can. Yep, absolutely. We will always support civil rights and oppose discrimination. Hail Nimrod to those of you who understand that phrase from Time Suck. Hail Nimrod. And uh, and right now we have to segue over to our show. Awkward segue. So, so thank you for listening. We just wanted to make sure to address that a very important, uh, you know, cultural uh, situation. Yeah, yeah. And if you're uh, curious about like I'm, I'm, I'm a bit more active on social media. Mm-hmm. So I've been posting just smaller little bits of history and facts and things that I'm learning because it's a tough issue. So you can follow me at Queen of Bad Magic and just kind of see a little bit more of where I stand on that. Absolutely. Now you have two stories for us today, correct? I do. And you know how like I normally say that I don't like to work on the stories at home. I yeah. have like, I don't know if you guys know, but I kind of have a rule now where it's like I only do the storios, storios, the stories in the studio because uh, I feel like I want to like keep that juju out of the house mm-hmm. as much as possible. Well, just because life happens, I had to work a bit on them at home last night while yeah. you were at the gym. It was like just starting to get dark out and I get creeped out. Oh, Lordy. Okay, good. That makes me that makes me feel good about today's show because uh, I am I am pumped uh, for these stories. I I think these are some of the scarier uh, ones, especially one that we've done in a while. I think I'm gonna scare the shit out of you. Okay, uh, fun, mm-hmm. fun. All I can say is I'm continually grateful for this small piece of coronavirus because you are home with me and I don't have to sleep alone while you're out <laughs> on your stand up tour. Uh, the first story comes from a dark winter in Alaska. Uh, when one man, uh, you know, what he sees at night, thinks initially is due to sleep paralysis. He starts seeing it uh, when he is definitely not asleep. Ooh. Yeah, very, very spooky story. The next story comes from 17th century France. The Lodon possessions. Oh. Was a priest uh, framed and burned at the stake for political reasons, or did he really have something to do with a case of mass demonic possession? Holy cow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I've got on some some pink love socks today. Oh, cute. Yay. You're going to need them. <laughs> I feel I feel like it. I'm going to get ready. You go ahead and uh, get us going. Yeah, tiny bit of setup for this first one. Uh, everything started happening in 2016. Miguel had just recently moved to Anchorage, Alaska to reboot his life after the end of a long engagement. No kids, a steady job, and some money in savings. Still in his 20s, Miguel decided to pull the trigger on a move he daydreamed about for years. Growing up in Denver, he'd long been fascinated with the open expanses of Alaska. He loved the outdoors, loved to camp, snowshoe, hike, and fish. Alaska seemed like an outdoorsman's paradise. He'd gotten a job with Wells Fargo a few years before the move, and then shortly after his breakup, a job opened up in Alaska, and he applied for a transfer and got it. Okay, nothing like just getting out of Dodge. Mm -hmm, Super excited. He moved to help manage a branch in Anchorage. The money was the same as in Denver, but his rent dropped from a little over $1,500 a month to $800. Extra money, obviously, pretty awesome. Heck yeah. Uh, The people he met were friendly, too, and some co-workers of Miguel's quickly became his new friends. Found some nice restaurants, as good as the ones back home in Denver. Probably not, but close enough. Yeah. Maybe best of all, he finally got a puppy, mm. a two-month-old rescue, uh, Ruby, who is part sheep border collie, and a lot, uh, I guess, sheepdog border collie, and a lot uh, Heinz 57, so a lot of just mutt. <laughs> I was like, a what? <laughs> <laughs> He'd wanted a dog for years, and Ruby was perfect. Uh, Miguel liked everything about Alaska except for the dark. Oh, yeah, that would totally do me in. Time now for the tale of more than sleep paralysis. 
Miguel moved to Anchorage in the fall, and when he first showed up in October, the sun rose around 9 a.m. and it set around 7 p.m. Weird to be dark so late in the morning, but he could deal with that. By mid-December, though, the sun didn't rise until after 10 a.m. Oh, my gosh. And the sun set around 3.45 p.m. Eek! Less than six hours of daylight, more than 18 hours a day of darkness. Oh, my gosh. It's a lot of night. Uh, that much darkness, not good for anyone. And maybe that's why when it first happened, after weeks of the dark wearing him down, Miguel thought his mind was playing tricks on him. He thought it was nothing more than sleep paralysis. Miguel was almost asleep, just starting to drift off around 10 p.m. when something woke him up inside the old two-bedroom duplex unit he was renting. He suddenly felt a presence behind him as he slept on his side, facing the edge of his bed towards the window. In his hazy state, he first thought the presence he felt behind him was his ex-fiancee, Amanda. He thought for a moment that he was still back in Denver, still sharing his bed. Miguel tried to roll over to face her and quickly realized he couldn't move a muscle. He was totally paralyzed. Then he felt her warm breath against his ear, and he heard her whisper his name. Oh, Miguel. It wasn't Amanda. It was a woman's voice, but not hers. He remembered he was no longer in Denver, he was in Anchorage, and he was supposed to be alone. He heard what sounded like a raspy, throaty laugh come from the female presence he felt laying behind him. <laughs> Definitely not Amanda's laugh. Still paralyzed, unable to turn over and see who was in bed with him, an image of what this woman looked like suddenly floated into his mind. He saw a woman in what seemed to be her 30s, maybe early 40s, wearing a cream-colored dress, red hair pulled into a bun, and intense, cold green eyes. And that's when Miguel began to feel fear for the first time. There wasn't anything especially menacing looking about this woman, but he really didn't like her eyes. She had the eyes of someone you knew immediately was cruel, dangerous. Her eyes were windows into a dark soul. Starting to freak out and still frozen, Miguel struggled to move with everything he had and finally was able to jerk himself out of his frozen state. He turned on the lamp that sat atop his nightstand. He spun around and, of course, there was nothing there. But the eerie feeling of not being alone in his room continued. And then little Ruby, now six months old, sleeping in her dog bed on the floor next to his, started to look towards the door and growl. And then as Miguel watched, the door slowly began to open. Ruby started to bark, and Miguel saw a dark shape float from his room down into the hallway. Oh, shit. Ruby stopped barking and began to whimper. She didn't leave her bed, and Miguel didn't leave his. And then the next uh, thing Miguel would remember was his alarm going off the following morning. He woke up in the same darkness he'd fallen asleep in. He chalked the whole thing up to a vivid dream, even though his door was still open, and he almost always shut it before going to bed. For the next few weeks, life went back to normal. Miguel's nights were dream-free, his days were filled with work, a couple dinners with some friends, even a date. Soon Miguel's strange nightmare had floated out of his mind entirely. But then it happened again. Almost the exact same experience. Miguel woke up to the feeling of a woman climbing into bed with him. Again, he could feel her warm breath on his ear. He could hear her whisper his name. He heard her hoarse laughter. Again, he was unable to move as the same image of the woman wearing the cream-colored dress with the red hair and the cruel green eyes floated into his mind. This time, though, when he broke his paralysis, he did not turn on the lamp on his nightstand. Instead, he immediately rolled over and he saw the shadowy outline of a woman's body laying in bed next to him. Oh. He could feel a cold energy emanating from her. Ah. Miguel instinctively yelled out, jumped back, and fell off the side of the bed, which startled Ruby into barking. 
He fumbled to turn on the lamp, and as he did so, he could see the woman's shadowy outline get up off his bed and walk out of the room. No! Ruby's barking intensified, and now when he turned on his lamp, he could see her moving down the hall, this time vanishing around a corner into the living room. <sighs> Miguel got up and approached the door and briefly considered walking down the hall. No, 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 no. But a knot in the pit of his stomach told him that was a very bad idea. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So he shut the door, locked it as if that would help, and climbed back into bed. I get it. And he told Ruby to join him. And Ruby has slept in his bed ever since. The two did soon fall asleep that night. And the next morning, again, Miguel chalked it all up to sleep paralysis, some really bad lucid dreaming, as he got ready to work on another midnight Anchorage morning. But then a few days later, he saw her again. Oh my gosh. And this time, he was definitely awake. It was Friday night, and Miguel had decided to stay in instead of joining his coworkers for some drinks at Club Paris. He and Ruby sat on the couch watching TV. Ruby had finally fallen asleep a few minutes earlier with her head on his lap after Miguel had thrown the ball for her what felt like a thousand times. And that was when he noticed a flickering motion out of the corner of his right eye. Uh. At the same time, he turned his head to see what had moved. Ruby snapped awake and started barking, facing the doorway leading into the kitchen. Now also looking into the kitchen, Miguel saw her shadow. He caught the fast movement coming from the human-sized entity darker than the surrounding room. Ruby continued to bark, and there was a loud crash in the kitchen now, followed by a laugh. The exact same hoarse laugh from his dream. A chill ran down his spine. Miguel sat frozen on the couch for several moments, holding Ruby, telling her to stop barking. He felt sick. When Ruby calmed down, Miguel stood up and walked over towards the kitchen and turned the lights on. Looking into the kitchen, he saw that some plates, cups, and silverware he'd set out to dry on a towel had been scattered across the counter with several different items ending up on the floor. It looked like someone had taken their arm and just swiped it hard along the countertop, sending everything scattering. Uh-uh. He picked everything up in a hurry and then went back into the living room, making sure to keep all of the lights on. All the- of them took a long time for Miguel to fall asleep that night. He woke up two different times, both times thinking he had just heard that laugh. Mm-hmm. Both times when he awoke, Ruby was growling. It stayed like this for a few weeks. No more sightings during the day, but almost every night he would wake up at least once to either that laugh or the feeling of her laying next to him. Ugh. Warm breath against his ear, sometimes warm breath against his neck as he lay paralyzed. Dude, GTFO. Once he woke up to the sound of more dishes being thrown across the counter and onto the floor, followed directly by Ruby barking. Then maybe another month later, it happened It happened during the day again. This time Miguel was in the kitchen, making himself some dinner after getting home from work. It was around 6 p.m. As he grilled up some chicken, he suddenly felt the temperature drop and the hair on his arms stood up. He felt her presence She was standing directly behind him. Oh, God. He could feel her breath on the back of his neck. He knew before she said it that she was going to say his name again. He suddenly felt lightheaded, nauseous, weak, like he was going to pass out. When she said his name, he turned around, and just for a split second, he truly saw her. Not just her shadow. He saw a thin, red-haired woman with green eyes and a cream-colored dress standing no more than 12 inches away from him. No way. Her cold eyes staring directly into his. She began to laugh, her raspy laugh, and then she stepped forward and seemed to move into him and then through him. He could feel her dark energy invade his. Things shifted after this encounter. Now it seemed like every day Miguel saw shadows moving out of the corners of his eyes. Never at work, never in public, always at home. Following that encounter, sometimes he would see more than one shadow. Oh. There would be the shadow he knew was the woman, and then there were two other smaller shadows. Children, maybe? He didn't know, but that felt right. 
His nightmares became more regular. He tried burning some sage, but it didn't seem to help. Uh. After doing some internet research, he laid down salt lines across all the openings to his home, windows, doorways. He even encircled his bed with a line of salt. Still, she continued to visit him at night. No! Various shadows still appeared in his peripheral vision. He contacted a local preacher then who agreed to bless his home, and it still didn't help. Oh my god, dude, get out! Then one day when he got home from work around 5.30 p.m., already dark as midnight outside... He saw his duplex neighbor, a man he'd seen a few times before, but had never spoken to. He introduced himself, found out the man's name was Sam. He asked Sam if Sam had been hearing any weird noises or had any unusual experiences on his side of the same building. And Sam scared the hell out of him when he said, you've seen Elizabeth. (gasps) Elizabeth? asked Miguel. Red hair, green eyes, about my age, has two kids. Yeah, said Miguel. Oh, God. Who are they? They live here, said Sam. They always live here. And then he said something supremely unnerving. Stay long enough and you will too. And then Sam flashed a smile that made Miguel, as strange as this may sound, feel like he wanted to start crying. It scared him that badly. Sam walked back into his side of the building and shut the door, totally creeped out. Oh my God. Miguel stumbled into his unit, called his landlord. He asked him who lived next door, and the answer sent him packing. No one lived next door. The unit next door had been vacant ever since Miguel moved in. Miguel's landlord had no idea who Sam was or Elizabeth. He'd only bought the duplex about a year before Miguel moved in. Miguel stayed in a hotel with Ruby that night and every night until he was able to find a new place to live. He still lives in Alaska. He hasn't had anything paranormal happen to him since these encounters, just the occasional nightmare, and he's never figured out who Sam or Elizabeth are. Oh my God, I knew that's where it was going. Oh, seriously? Yes. Like when you said Sam, immediately I was like, oh shit. That story creeped me out. Oh, I have goosebumps all over. That was a big GTFO. He did it. <laughs> yes, he did. He did it. He, and luckily, well, luckily for him, he did it for quickly. And luckily for him, yeah, he was not a Darren because, you know, he was in a nice situation. He had right. Some, it sounds like he had some, well, say he said he, he had, had money extra and savings. Money. Yeah. And then, yeah, I'm sure that sucked. But sure. it's like, but he, you know, had extra income coming in. And yes, he made the right choice. And he just got the fuck out of there. Who is he? Ha. <sighs> <sighs> So obviously, I mean, this is, you know, uh, a random story. There's no picture, but there oh. is like a shadow women. I mean, uh, that I found, I mean, there was no picture attached to this story. Right, right, right. As there often is not in these kinds of, of stories. But that's, I mean, that that's, that's a pretty... picture that just made me feel like maybe that's kind of who he was seeing. Maybe. Although I think Sarah was, Sarah sounded very pretty. True. I mean, I'm sorry, not Sarah, Elizabeth. Uh, yeah, Elizabeth. Where did I get Sarah? I don't know. Why'd I say that? Sam. Sam. Sam's kind of like Sarah. Uh, and then this next one is uh, just yeah, just another example. I mean, these are just, you know, yeah, in my like, mind what I'm thinking it would kind of be like. I was thinking of one of my girlfriends back in L.A. who has like this. She's very thin. She has this beautiful long red hair. She's very like pale. Oh, interesting. And I'm like, oh, God. Maybe like that. Oh, my God. I, I won't say her name. And I was thinking about my other friend whose dog's name is Ruby. Oh, really? And she lives in half of a duplex. Seriously? Yeah, so I was like thinking about her the whole time. I was playing it out like as if I was in her oh duplex. That you know, really I, I, I did think about the duplex with the not that I necessarily out of whatever about the salt lines, but I mean, but if those things I I did look into it when mm-hmm. I when I came across mm-hmm. it and I'm mm-hmm. like you're supposed to like put them in the barriers to your home, but if you you don't get to put them in the other half of the home. Right. Like if it's a duplex, so I you didn't actually think about that. so you actually can't close out the building. Oh yeah, you don't <laughs> if that stuff were to work, yeah. 
Uh-huh. Ask Excuse your neighbor me, to put could them. I uh, lay some salt down? <laughs> I, I, all of our doorways in our house are salted. Seriously? Mm-hmm. Huh. Uh, and then one last one that I just thought was is interesting. Is it going to be a funny one? That's just, I don't know what kind of shadow that is. Do you know? It looks like a chocolate bar. Maybe a, ban- <laughs> maybe a banana? Maybe a banana. Maybe a uh, popsicle? Yeah, it could be a popsicle or something. Someone's just holding a popsicle over there. Over the toilet. Yeah, know? like maybe they don't like that flavor and they're just going to like dump it out in the mm-hmm. toilet. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a shadow something. Maybe it's like uh, cotton candy. Might be cotton candy. And by the way, if you're listening for the first a time. Twinkie? <laughs> you can find it's definitely, the picture I'm talking about is definitely not cotton candy. Uh, it's, a, it's a shadow wiener. The wiener is a shadow wiener. And you can find these pictures on uh, Scared to Death's Instagram My and, God. and Facebook. Dan, so if you're just tuning in for the first time, Dan really loves to try and get me with like stupid nah. photos. So mm-hmm. that just happens. Um, I have a question. Yes. Tell me, let's talk about sleep paralysis for a second because mm-hmm. I've never experienced it. And and I haven't since I was a kid. I, you I, had it when you were a kid? A couple times. Yeah, it's terrifying. What? Mm-hmm. How do you How do you break out of it? You just wake up? Yeah, that's a, that's the shitty part. No, you can't. You're like you're stuck in this state between. Um, oh man, I don't have the information in front of me. They've done studies on it, but it's kind of it's like a, it's it's part of your sleep cycle. It's like a misfire. Kind of. That's yeah. That's a good way to put it. Actually, they think where you are. It's like you're stuck in this weird limbo between being awake. And being asleep. I've actually had it happen to me um, more recently, not in a horrible situation like this, but where I'm kind of like taking a nap yeah. or falling asleep and I'll, I'll want to pop up. Like I'll be like, no, I don't want to go to sleep. You know, or I want to move mm-hmm. and, and I'll go to move and I can't like I'm paralyzed. What? And then I ha- and then I kind of start to panic inside mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and then I'll jump awake. Like, like, you know, like have like a like lurch awake. Weird. But then sometimes depending on what state you're in, um, I guess with this, yeah, you can have that, but you can. There's been studies where you can see like shadowy figures. There's, uh, you know, uh, things might sit on your chest. You might feel like a weight on your chest. But that's all part of. They, they've done studies on the, it's a certain part of the brain that they have been able to, when they uh, stimulate this one part of your brain, they can recreate seeing shadowy images around you. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So there's no way of really knowing if it's shadow people or just your brain. Exactly. I like. It's a, fa- I, it's a fairly common phenomenon. Yeah. I like to lean on science for this one. Of course. Yeah. That one in particular, it's never happened to me, so I don't feel mm-hmm. concerned about it happening. Or, what, but always in my mind, I'm like, okay, even if I'm lying in bed at night and I think I see a shadow. Oh God! Like last night, oof, thought I saw something. Yeah. And uh, but I'm like, no, no, no. Sleep. You're 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 in sleep paralysis, Lindsay. Like I'll, <laughs> I'll tell my something myself something that's not true. Yeah, you'll know. If you're in, I mean, you'll know because yeah, you'll you, you something spooks you, or you want to get, or you just want to do something, and all of a sudden you just can't. And and the really bad version is when you are. It's more like the dreamlike space where then you can see weird shit that you are. Right. Can't. Like I had some nightmares as a kid. Mine were uh, the, stu- <laughs> the stupid clown doll thing. But like, I would be laying there, I would be falling asleep, looking at this thing that was sitting in my room, this clown doll. That I hated because oh, that's I, such I a don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to go into the whole story right now. But like, and then I would go kind of go into the sleep paralysis, and then my, in my mind, this thing would be like getting up and like yeah. moving around, and I couldn't react to it. Oh, I, 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 and you just feel so helpless. Maybe that really was happening. You want to cry? Oh God, yeah. Who knows? Maybe that's maybe that is why you're so afraid of clowns because I it, had a clown demon. It did pop up and yeek. Oh man, dance around. Burn that clown. Uh, you ready for the next? Uh, Do you know where the clown is? I don't, actually. I don't know what happened to that doll. Well, I think it's at your mom's somewhere. That's what she says. She's just full of shit. (laughs) 
<laughs> you ready for? Yes, I'm stalling. I'm stalling because at first it, that was that was scary. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna like I forgot to protect myself. So you ready for some more terror? Mm-hmm. I'm just putting some cleansing spray around me. What is the most basic gift you have ever given the moms in your life for Mother's Day? Flowers, a candle, some random knickknack you picked up at the last minute because you completely spaced Mother's Day? I have definitely made the mistake of procrastinating gifts for Mother's Day. And then, like the Friday before, I run to whatever store is open and convince myself that, yes, yes, my mom does need another coffee mug that declares she's the world's (laughs) best. So lame. This year, how about one upping yourself by giving the moms in your life an Aura picture frame? Named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to any mom at any age. Aura frames connect easily to Wi-Fi and have unlimited storage so you can share as many pictures as you want. This year, as many of you know, I am on a spending freeze, but one of my carve-outs was meaningful gifts for the people I love. I don't want to give all of the moms in our lives something that won't bring them joy. We are giving Aura frames to the moms in our world because they are timeless, heartwarming gifts. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code SCARED at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What are the things that weigh you down on a day-to-day basis? What kind of stress are you holding on to? Do you spend much of your day going over things in your brain over and over until they are so distracting it affects your mental health? Well, don't worry. You're not alone. We all carry different stressors, some big, some small. When we keep things bottled up, the results can be negative. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest without fear or judgment. It's a place to work through what is heavy on your mind and heart so that you can feel lighter and happier. I'm always holding on to something. It's the way my anxious brain works. I'm continually worried that I've done something wrong, that I've hurt the feelings of someone I love, and that I have let someone down. I'm stressed that I'm not being a good enough mom or wife. I panic that our life will implode at any given moment and it'll all be my fault. Thankfully, I have an amazing therapist who helps me talk through each of these scenarios. After each and every appointment, I feel lighter, happier, and more capable of showing up as my most authentic self. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash scared to death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash scared to death. Who doesn't love a little special something? A gourmet cupcake from your favorite bakery or a lovely bottle of wine? Do you ever splurge on a massage or an expensive meal? If you treat yourself to the best of the best when it comes to the things you enjoy, why would you settle for less when it comes to your health? Your health should be a top priority. I mean, you have one body to get you through this entire life. Why not treat that body to the best? ZocDoc is the place you can find and book tens of thousands of top-tier doctors, all with verified patient reviews. Don't settle for anything but the best because you deserve the best. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. I've been battling some insane heartburn lately. I tried all the -the over-the-counter things, cut out spicy food, alcohol, but I just can't seem to get any relief. After speaking with my family doctor, he suggested I see a gastroenterologist. Knowing I could find an amazing doctor within seconds on ZocDoc, I went to their website, entered my zip code and insurance information, and began to scroll the reviews of all the available doctors in my area that could help me find a solution to my problem. And I did it all in just a few clicks. So easy. Go to ZocDoc.com scared and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find a book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash scared.
ZocDoc.com slash scared. Okay, so this next next story, uh, uh, definitely terrifying, uh, maybe supernatural. Either way, it for sure end, ended in tragedy because a man uh, thought to be behind a tremendous amount of demonic activity was absolutely for sure burned alive. Ugh. Uh, some set up with this one. Yeah, okay. that'd be a terrible way to go. Terrible. Worst, one of the worst deaths, I oh. think. Uh, on August 18th, 1634, Urban Grandier, a French Catholic priest, was burned at the stake after being convicted of witchcraft due to accusations that occurred during the so-called Loudun possessions. Was he the victim of politically motivated persecution uh, due to public opposition to the wishes of his cardinal, France's highest ranking uh, Catholic, or did he actually make contact with demonic forces? Uh, Urban Grandier, born in 1590, he attended a Jesuit college in Bordeaux. Uh, his uncle was a priest with connections to high-ranking Jesuits. The Jesuits and Grandier's uncle were responsible for appointing the parish priest in Loden in 1617, and they chose Grandier. In 17th century France, the priesthood, not necessarily for the pious. It was uh, often a place for good-looking, wealthy, well-educated, and ambitious men to achieve political power, uh, high social status, uh, a lifestyle more comparable to that of a wealthy noble Funny. Th than that of an ascetic monk. Like uh, Grandier was an eloquent and popular, handsome preacher, the 1600s French equivalent to basically a, uh, a nice-looking televangelist. Hmm. Uh, and like a fair amount of televangelists, uh, he was rumored to really like the ladies. He was celibate and vow only, not as it seems in practice. It was well known that Grandier had fathered a child by a woman named Philippa Trincant, the daughter of one of the uh, king's solicitors in Loudoun. And the king's solicitor was but one of many French hus husbands and fathers he had angered. <laughs> in 1629, uh, one of these angry men, Jacques de Thilbeau, uh, a relative of Philippa, was telling anyone who would listen how immoral Grandier was. When Grandier confronted him about his slanderous accusations, Thibault uh, beat him with a cane Yikes. outside his own church. Wow. All right, then. In the lawsuit that followed, Thibault uh, claimed that his beating had been warranted, had been just because Grandier had defiled not just Philippa, but many other young women around town. The accusation made its way to the ecclesiastical court. Two fellow priests testified that they found Grandier lying with women and girls on the floor of the church on numerous occasions. Whoopsies. <laughs> they openly declared that whenever the gate to the church was closed, uh, they wondered what poor girl may be inside having her virtue stolen by a perverse priest. Oh. Several times, they said, both during the day and night, they had seen women and girls come to Grandier's room, some coming in the morning and staying alone with the priest all the way until past midnight. The court forbade Grandier from performing any public function as a priest for the next five years. Grandier appealed this ruling, and for some reason, a lot of the witnesses who had just spoken against his character suddenly and inexplicably redacted their statements. The case was dismissed, and Grandier was free. How had he gotten away with taking advantage of the women of Luden? Some began to think he had some infernal assistance in getting his initial conviction overturned. Rumors circulated that Grandier was worshipping the devil. Okay. Lo locals gossiped that the uh, women and girls he brought into his room would often leave with a strange look in their eye. Maybe they were shocked at what they'd done with them. Maybe they were worried about their reputations. Or maybe they'd been introduced to the occult. Maybe they'd participated in dark rituals that had changed them. Had Grandier introduced them to demonic entities. Time now for the tale of the Luden possessions. Later at his inquisition, Grandier would be accused of writing the following backwards in Latin. The night before all the witnesses had dropped out and the accusations against him had crumbled in his case. We, the influential Lucifer, the young Satan, Beelzebub, Leviathan, Elamie, and Astroth, together with others, have today accepted the covenant pact of Urbain Grandier, who is ours. 
And him do we promise the love of women, the flower of virgins, the respect of monarchs, honors, lusts, and powers. He will go whoring three days long. The carousel will be dear to him. He offers us once in the year a seal of blood. Under the feet he will trample the holy things of the church, and he will ask us many questions. With this pact he will live twenty years happy on the earth of men, and will later join us to sin against God. Grandier would not go unpunished for the next set of accusations against him. Accusations of demonic allegiance coming from the Lodens Ursuline Convent. A devastating outbreak of the plague hit Loden in May of 1632, lasting until September of that year. 3,700 died, over 25% of the town's population. Wow. The nuns of Loden had been spared. They were safe from the deadly pathogen inside the walls of their convent. But then something else seemed to attack them. The convent was run by the eccentric, powerful, and well-connected prioress, uh, Jean de uh, Angus. She looked after around 20 nuns whose average age was 25. Most of them were daughters of the nobility, doctors, and lawyers. The convent had a good reputation, and many important families from Loden and its neighboring cities had sent their daughters to be educated there. It was a place teeming with young, principled women, but also naive and impressionable women mm-hmm. who were shut inside for an indefinite period of time without their parents or family members to watch over them. The perfect place for a man like Urban Grandier to add to his sexual conquests. Due to his position as the highest-ranking local Catholic, he had unlimited access to the convent. Rumors soon spread that he was doing more with some of the young nuns than talking about the Bible. And then one night in 1632, about five months after the first outbreaks of the plague, a young nun, nun named Heloise was sweeping in the church alone. The other nuns had gone to bed, and it was her turn to make sure everything was clean and in its place, and that the large lock on the church doors was closed. While sweeping... She looked towards the altar and saw in ghostly white the figure of a priest from her childhood. Uh. The ghost of a priest who had died years before. Father Moussant, she gasped. Slowly the apparition turned towards her, bowed its head and disappeared. What does it mean? She asked aloud. Then at that moment she heard a loud cracking sound and saw that the enormous wooden cross on top of the altar had just split in half. She screamed, dropped the broomstick, and ran down the halls of the convent, awakening the other nuns. As the days wore on, more nuns began to see apparitions. One nun woke up screaming that he saw uh, that she saw her dead family. Then another girl saw her family. Then another. They claimed to see their dead parents. They claimed to see doctors and priests from their childhoods, dead magistrates, shopkeepers, always familiar faces. Always people who had taken care of them and shown them kindness. Were they now trying to warn the nuns about something? After a while, apparitions were the least of their problems. In the middle of the night, a young nun named Marie awoke to find Urban Grandier standing over her, speaking backwards in Latin. She didn't know how he could have gotten in. The doors to her bedroom were always locked. The windows were too high and narrow for anyone to climb up and fit through. But here Grandier was, leaning over her bed, spitting as he recited prayers backwards in Latin. Weird. As she tried to cower away from him, she felt hands under her sheets, grabbing her legs, her stomach, her feet. He was holding her down. Grande soon started shouting and she felt pressure on her chest. She could barely breathe. As her vision closed in around her and she lost consciousness, she saw Grande's features twist and morph into something horrible. His face became demonic. His skin warped and bubbled, turning black and leathery. His face no longer looked human. He looked as if he would devour her. And then all she saw was darkness. 
When she woke up, her bedroom was empty. She breathed a sigh of relief. Had it all been some strange nightmare? <sighs> but when she stood up and saw that her legs were covered in bruises and cuts, she thought what had Grandier done to her? Oh, no. Other girl girls soon be claimed to feel hands moving beneath their sheets at night, grabbing them, molesting them. They felt their skirts lifted up, something violating them. Uh, uh, Jean, uh, Jeanette called a doctor in to examine, examine them, so this prioress, uh, on one girl's back... He recorded what looked like claw marks. On another girl, he saw bruises around her wrists and ankles, as though she'd been tied down. While examining another woman, the doctor heard shrieking from another one of the rooms. When he rushed over to see what was the matter, he later claimed to have seen a girl floating four feet off the ground while two other nuns tried to hold her down. Oh, boy. The levitating girl was screaming, foaming at the mouth, and cursing God. She denounced the church, said she would live in hell. The doctor fled the church and never returned. Jean herself soon claimed that she saw a vision of an angel in her room one night. Then when she reached out to this angel, it turned into a snake and slithered inside of her. Ah. She felt a burning in her stomach like hot chains being tightened underneath her skin. And when she woke, oh. her bedsheets were soaked with sweat and she could see something convulsing and throbbing just under the skin of her lower stomach. Gross. Something moving around under her skin like a snake. She flagellated herself in an attempt to punish the demonic manifestation uh, and get it out of her. Oh, my God. She thought what was happening to her must have been some sort of divine punishment for being sinful. More demonic activity soon infected the convent. Sometimes the nuns would fall asleep at the same time, many of them. No one could wake them, and then they became so heavy that not even the strongest men from town could move them. Weird. Witnesses heard strange, angry voices coming from the nuns, although their mouths did not move and they did not seem to wake. On October 11th, Jean went to Father Mignon and told them that uh, Urban Grandier must be responsible for all of this. When Grandier heard of this accusation, he filed a petition stating that his reputation was under attack and that the nuns should be confined while an official investigation takes place. An investigation was held and the nuns were questioned. A committee comprised of several local men asked them about their experiences and every man observed that the nuns never once contradicted themselves whether questioned together or separately. Urban Grandier was detained and a public exorcisms uh, and a public exorcism of the nuns was begun. Yee. Around 7,000 spectators watched the exorcism rituals that lasted for 40 days. Holy crap! Whenever they were asked who had done uh, this to the nuns and why, the girls would convulse and speak in gravelly voices saying, Urban Grandier out of hatred for God. Oh my gosh. Many strange, very hard to explain moments occurred during these exorcism rituals. When Jean, uh, her name is a little tricky. When Jean was asked questions about scripture in Latin, she began to answer in her normal voice. And then something took the light from her eyes and she began to speak English, Greek, and German in animalistic tones. When one of the priests who had recently gotten back from North America asked her a question in an American Indian language, she laughed and replied in that same language, a language it was highly unlikely she had ever even heard before. You cannot challenge me. I have the power of Satan on my side. Oh. Immediately after this response, the rest of the nuns spoke in unison, uttering in multiple languages simultaneously, Go away! Go away! The girls are ours! They were promised to us and we have taken them. The girls sexually propositioned the exorcists in moments, threatened them and others, insulted God often. They knew things there should be no way that they could know. A local noble, the Marquis de la Moth, certified that one nun was correct when she accused him during her exorcism of visiting prostitutes and gambling away much of his fortune. She provided graphic details regarding his sins and her accuracy shocked him. 
At one point during the exorcism, the nuns suddenly shifted in unison from a state of coma-like quiet to terrible convulsions and screaming. They struck their chests and backs with their heads as if their necks had been broken. They twisted their shoulders so their arms bent 360 degrees around their bodies as if they no longer had bones inside of them. Lying on their stomachs, they joined the palms of their hands to the soles of their feet, bent their bodies backwards so it looked like they were going to break in half. Their faces became so frightful that priests performing the exorcisms looked away. Their eyes opened unnaturally wide. Black, swollen, sore-covered tongues rolled out of their mouths. Girls were witnessed quickly scuttling across the floor like crabs, then disappearing into dark and shadowy corners. What the hell? They uttered cries so terrible and so loud the entire room seemed to be filled with the chorus of devils. They mimed lewd sexual acts for the priests, masturbating in front of them, taunting them, begging the priests to fuck them. They rejoiced over their desire to serve their dark master. Some would go for days without sleeping. When at one point the exorcist tried torturing the spirits from the nuns' bodies, the pain only made them scream with laughter. At one point, Jean went through a psychosomatic pregnancy in front of numerous witnesses. What? For three days, her belly swole as if she were completely pregnant full term, and then she gave birth to a bloody mass of tissue. Oh my god! Numerous demons claimed to be possessing all of these women. An entity claiming to be the devil himself said he wouldn't leave the girls alone until Urban Grandier was dead. All the while, Grandier awaited his trial in Paris. And then on August 18, 1634, the court handed down his sentence. We have ordered and do order the said Urban Grandier, duly tried and convicted of the crime of magic, maleficia, and of causing uh, demonical possession of several Ursuline nuns of the town of Luden, as well as other secular women, together with other charges and crimes resulting therefrom. For reparation of which, we have condemned and do condemn the said Grandier to make honorable amend his head bare, a rope around his neck, holding in his hand a burning pitch firebrand weighing two pounds, before the principal door of the church of St. Pierre du Marche, and before that of St. Ursula of this town. There on his knees to ask pardon of God, the king, and the law. This done, he is to be taken to the public square of St. Croix and fastened to a stake on a scaffold, which shall be erected on the said place for this purpose and be burned alive. Yeah. Grandet was then led off to be tortured first in order to ascertain if he'd had any earthly accomplices. A wooden boot full of spikes was measured to fit his leg. Then a torturer nailed a metal spike into the boot through his leg, clamped it around Grandier's leg, squeezing it tighter and tighter. As the many spikes dug into his leg, the torturer shouted, Confess! Confess! He did not confess. He did pass out from the pain. Oh, my God. Grandier was then taken to Luden. He was walked to the scaffold, dragging his recently mangled leg behind him. He was fitted with a noose. Sticks were piled beneath him. From the scaffold, Grandier addressed the crowd, trying to make one final plea for mercy, but monks drowned him out by throwing holy water into his face. When the executioner approached him with his noose, he saw that the sticks beneath him had suddenly been lit, sticks that he was supposed to light but hadn't. Flames sprang up, and soon the entire structure was engulfed in flames. The the executioner jumped off the scaffold, and now instead of being hanged, Grandier was burning alive. Oh, God. As Grandier burned, Jeanne slumped over and collapsed. When she opened her eyes, a priest cried, God has saved this woman. The other nuns also suddenly snapped out of their trances, exhibiting no further signs of possession. None of them would ever claim anything similar again. The Luden possessions went down in history as, depending on what you want to believe either one of the largest experiences of mass possession ever witnessed, or an enormous conspiracy focused on taking down a single man. 
Why would anyone want to take Grandier down other than for the reasons of being sexually promiscuous? Well, in addition to being a known womanizer, Grandier had also publicly opposed the need for priests to be celibate. And he had publicly defied his cardinal regarding the cardinal's wish to remove Ludin's old medieval walls. The cardinal wanted the town to rely on the crown and the church for its self-defense, and Grandier had sided with many in the town who wanted to keep the walls. Did this defiance lead to the cardinal orchestrating an inquisition based on wild rumors in order to have Grandier killed? Or did Grandier really bring the devil to 17th century France? Yay, yay, yay. It's a crazy weird story, right? I'm super focused on that boot situation. Mm-hmm. So they, they, I just need you to explain it again before we look at photographs. So they made a boot. Yeah, and I don't have photographs of the boots. Okay. There's so many old different, I mean, or an illustration. Yeah. But I mean, I, I've studied randomly for times like medieval torture devices before. And again, it sounds like they just made... Uh, yeah, like a, a thing that would fit on his leg, I'm guessing beneath the knee. Didn't give every single example. Yeah. And probably foot that had a bunch of spikes inside of it. Uh, doesn't say if those spikes were metal or wood. And then it'd be like you picture like two halves where they put each half around the side. Okay. A nail going through, I'm sure, his leg. Th- connecting that's what the I was two, wondering. And then some type of clasps that they could tighten. And the, and the more you would tighten it, the more all of those spikes would just press into your legs. Oh, oh, I was picturing that all wrong. And I eventually was... it would become like a boot, like a big wooden boot is the way it was kind of described. Yes. When it was fully tightened. Yes. And all of those spikes were like crisscrossed, in, you know, mangling Ugh, your leg. Awful. I unfortunately was thinking of like the bottom of a boot mm. and that there were spikes and that Coming they, up. Yeah, yeah, and that they were pushing his leg into it or I, I don't know. Yeah. Also awful. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, whatever it was, but when they, when they took it off, his leg was just a mangled, you know, mass of, of blood and, you know, broken bone. I can't. I can't. Yeah. So first, okay, so first uh, photo. This is uh, just a, a illustration of the pact he had supposedly, or I guess a oh, copy, yeah. a photo of the copy of that um, pact he wrote backwards in Latin. The backwards Latin. It, I, Latin was, is hard enough, and then writing right. it backwards. I successfully failed Latin in high school twice. Oh, really? Yeah, Latin's tough. Oh, it's so hard. Uh, this next is an illustration of Grandier's burning uh, from back in the 17th century. Wow. Uh, this next is an illustration of Urban Grandier. Um, he was a very popular priest. There's also, you know, speculation that that may have been why he was uh, burned. Is you know, he was becoming popular? more popular than the cardinal. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, the popularity contest. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and then this is this next picture is the gate. One like like an old re- medieval gate for, uh, from Loden. Okay. Uh, a remnant of the wall. So like you know there was this gate and then this you know big medieval wall that would encircle mm-hmm. the town. And I guess that was like a big debate was okay. uh, the French. Um, uh, uh, monarchy, mm-hmm. and they wanted to tear down the wall and and have the town rely on them. Uh, I guess it was like a movement to get rid of somebody where, you know, long before this, a lot of times, you know, each little town was almost like its own little city-state. Right. Or, or could be. Sure. Kind of, you know, to defend itself. Yeah. And then we have one more photo. I think this is from Loden. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, it's the biggest piece of cotton candy. It's a big... It's a big cotton, candy. cotton stick of cotton candy. I think is it can we really get a good look at it? Can we really can I want to really zoom wanna, in on yeah, that? Yeah, zoom in and yeah, examine. Let's see more. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So how how upsetting would it be if your hmm. penis was that big? That actually would be a handicap at that point. I mean, that's eight. I say it would be. Twelve inches? <laughs> no. Yeah, I don't I don't no, that's probably like twelve. That's probably like twelve, fourteen inches. That's it's misshapen also. Maybe even like sixteen. That's like it's a, a very yeah. crooked penis. 
<laughs> just, uh, just bend it to the left a little bit. Just bend it like uh, bend it like Beckham. <laughs> quite quite a bit. Quite a bit. I don't, I don't think that's what bend it like Beckham means. Oh, okay. Uh, you in that story. Mm-hmm. You said a lot of names for the devil that I had never heard before. Uh, those were th- those names were yeah. uh, oh, like there's these old medieval texts which mm-hmm. uh, write out these hierarchies for hell. Where there's basically like demons, like, like okay, like like archangels, the demonic equivalent of an archangel, like with the archangel Michael. Yeah. There's demonic equivalents, and they're basically like the generals of hell. Oh, so th- okay. So those were high ranking demons, for mm. lack of a better phrase. I know because I was like, whoa, those are new names. I don't know those mm-hmm. names. Yikes! That's crazy. Now, uh, maybe you said it, but um, exactly how many nuns were possessed simultaneously? Uh, I believe it was around twenty. I'd have to yeah, look was, back to the but yeah, crazy. yeah, yeah. Without looking back to the notes, I believe it was around twenty. Mm-hmm. I mean, just to see that many people fighting like during the uh, exorcism, right? And, and, and psychologists are going to say mass hysteria. You know, I mean that that's been pointed to with this particular story. It's been written about a lot, actually. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and then believers are going to think that. I don't know that he uh, he somehow corrupted this entire convent. I mean, it just seems so crazy that as soon as he died, right? They're all like, "Fine." Also, that uh, that birth, that psychosomatic birth, birth, yeah, yeah, yep. Because that's like a thing. Okay, mass hysteria, sure, screaming, crying, yelling. You could like writhe your body around. You could do a lot of that stuff. You can roll your eyes back. You know, like. But I don't know that you can true, true. You can't force do that. yourself to give birth to a bloody mess. And, and skeptics are going to say that, well, that was what was recorded that happened. And that was what they testified. Yeah. But that they did so under pressure from the church to say those things. And words were put in their mouths to so they could burn him. You right. Know, that, that's going to be the counter argument. No cell phone footage. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So. Exactly. We don't have any... Uh, uh, and so it's just uh, up to each person to decide what they want to believe. Mm-hmm. Picks or it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, that sounds really crazy and I think totally it's plausible. That's a wild story. Yeah, it is wild. I'd never heard of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, there you have it, Dan. There you so, have it. Some, I think so. that I, first I, yeah. story really got me, buddy. Mm-hmm. Really got me. You didn't think about her tonight. Sure am. Did you feel something weird on your neck? I know. You can't move. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, just, my, the scariest part to me was when he um, just for a little blip saw her, like saw right, the entity, not like a figure, but like an mm-hmm, actual. Mm-hmm. And then the whole thing of like, I can just feel like it gives me the goosebumps, like this cold energy just whoop, like like you're absorbing yeah. whatever it is, and then yeah. it just passes through you. I was thinking about our neighbors. Like, what if some of our neighbors just aren't real? Oh, fuck my head up forever. Can you imagine? Oh my god. I'd be done. I'd be like, done. Like, if all of a sudden like, you're like, oh, Jim and Barb, Jim and Barb are just not even real people. Oh my God. If, oh my God. If like, we're like, oh yeah, we've uh, known Jim and Barb for years. And then some other neighbor's like, who? Yeah. What in the world? No, no, Jim and Barb there. And they're like, no one's lived in that house for five years. Oh my God. That's, I, that's when I, I don't even know. Do I just like r- find the nearest cliff and just throw myself off of it? Like, I don't, I don't know. Can you, can you recover from something like that? I, I was thinking like, oh, their son comes to like sell their house or something. We're like, oh, hey, yeah, you're, you're, we love your folks. And he's like, fuck that you would, guys. You that know would destroy my brain. Yeah. I would never be the same. Correct. At that point, I think I would just indulge in like a lot of drug use and just hope for like a <laughs> a happy overdose. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That'd be well, terrifying. Yeah, that would be pretty no, awful. Thank you. Well, are you ready to hear some other pretty awful stories? I am. I'm ready for more, uh, more awful. Okay, more awful. Okay, so now this first story. Uh, Everyone's going to remain anonymous. I actually don't even know where it takes place. They didn't give me that detail. But I, 
this story, uh, uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. You got okay. your squishy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're gonna want him. It's it's not the main necessarily like jumpy, but I think it's gonna mess with your head. Okay. Hey, Lindsay and Dan, I've been a fan of Dan's stand-up for years, and a commercial on Pandora is what drew me into Time Suck and eventually into Scared to Death. Yes! <laughs> I've heard other people's stories shared and decided I would do my best to retell a personal account from just a few years ago. I have chosen to have mine and my ex-wife's names and our son's name kept anonymous so that no one I personally know who may listen to this at some point would think that I'm crazy or view my ex-wife as an abusive mother. Okay. I have changed no details that I can be aware of. Uh, if I say anything that is even close to false, it's just me simply misremembering a small detail. Okay. The time when this happened was filled with an incredible amount of mental stress, anxiety, depression, and questioning my own sanity, and just an overall general unhappiness that surrounded these events. Mm -hmm. It was so hard because the best time of my life quickly turned out to be the darkest part of my entire existence. This is barely my story. I was the one the least affected by this, but witnessing these events firsthand makes me feel like I can talk about what happened more than my ex-wife ever could. Still to this day, she clams up or goes silent at the idea of reliving any bit of this experience. Mm. We're not religious and I hold zero belief in the supernatural. The only way I've kept that position after this is by convincing myself that this was all fueled by fear uh, I'm sorry, that convincing myself that my mental state was distorted and my perception of the events was fueled by fear and that fear caused me to make up details as the ev events unfolded. Hmm. However, from what little my ex-wife did tell me, I'm pretty sure something very odd was going on and yet it is still completely unexplained. Years ago, my wife and I had gotten married after knowing each other for our entire lives. Our families were close. We'd gone to school together. As children, we had played together. In high school, we ran with similar crowds. And we were even born just seven days apart from one another with her huh? being older. And our lifelong friendship had turned romantic in our early, tw early 20s. After our marriage, my grandfather passed away and left me a large sum of money in his will. With the money from my grandfather, we bought our dream home just wow. outside the city we lived in. It was a southern country home and therefore much cheaper than buying a house of similar age, condition, or size in the city. It was built in 1901 and had been beautifully updated with bright paint, new appliances, pretty tile work, high ceilings, and an almost ancient style craftsman trim work. Hmm. The house was three stories. The first having an entrance hall, a library, kitchen, dining room, a washroom, living room, and what seemed to be old servants' quarters. The second floor had four bedrooms, and one we didn't use, and one we planned to turn into a future baby's room, and then our master bedroom. The fourth room was to be turned into my personal office. This was the one and only room that there was a piece of furniture left in it in the entire house. A large walnut armoire that seemed to be as old as the house itself. Also worth noting, this room was left in its almost original condition. The wood floors were not refinished as the rest of the home, and the walls were a faded gray color with large windows that bathed in the room, bathed the room in natural light. Hmm. Our realtor told us that the old occupants had left the armoire in there because of its size. The wardrobe stood taller than the doorways and wider than the churn out of the room, making it virtually impossible to move it out without hiring a woodworker or a carpenter to dis disassemble and then masterfully reassemble the beautifully made piece of furniture. Yeah. 
Months after moving in, we had finished making the place fit us perfectly, but leaving that one room untouched. Soon after moving in, we found that my wife had become pregnant. We were both so excited to become parents. Her pregnancy was somewhat normal. She'd always been a stubborn woman, strong-willed, but level-headed. But during her pregnancy, it would become a fight to get her to take care of herself. She would often skip her vitamins, and she had almost entirely stopped eating all fruits and vegetables and just food in general. But she would eat almost any meat and demanded it be served on the rare side. Hmm. Fight after fight after fight. She would eventually fold and eat some greens and fruits for the sake of the baby. She had somehow gained little to no weight throughout the pregnancy, keeping her slim shape even after the birth. Later in the pregnancy, she would wake at night once a week and sit in the room that we had made into my office, the room with the leftover armoire. And she would sit in my large armchair, later saying she just liked sleeping in the moonlight that came in through the windows. The baby came on time and with little complications. He weighed nine pounds, five ounces, and came out with a full head of my ex-wife's coal black hair and my pale blue eyes. We were both beyond happy. The only concern was that the baby boy lacked general emotion. He rarely cried and never smiled, but the doctor said he was responsive and the more nuanced emotional effects may start showing in time. The first few months were fine. My wife would still, once a week, go and sit in my office at night, now bringing the baby with her to sleep in the moonlight, right next to the old, oversized wardrobe. She would eventually never want to leave the house. And when the baby was about three months old, she called for me from the other room, almost in a panic. I came quickly into the baby's room to see her and to see what was going on. She had her head on the boy's chest as he laid in the crib. I was hearing a noise, she said in a panicked voice. Like a wheeze, I asked, thinking about his breathing naturally. No, she said. He was making some awful noise. I asked her to describe the sound. She couldn't recreate the sound, but rather was left with her words only to describe it. She said it was like a humming noise that was accompanied by the sound of like a plastic clicking. It didn't make sense. Our dog, who now spends most of his time around our son, seemed to be seemed not to be affected or disturbed by the sound. He is a big German shepherd, and you would assume that he would most likely be very curious of any odd sounds coming from our son. My ex-wife would mention these noises about once a week. Mm -hmm. I insisted on seeing a therapist or a psychiatrist, but she would wave off the suggestion. Eventually, she started bringing up this noise every day and then agreed to see a doctor regarding it. Her and the doctor viewed this as a new mother's overly worried mind and told her to go out and try and get her mind off of the child and to focus on something fun. We agreed to go out to dinner and drinks in the city alone one night. My grandmother came over to watch the baby, and we had a great date night. It seemed like the woman I had fallen in love with was back. But when we got home, however, my grandmother, who's an older woman who had lived most of her life in Germany, was very upset. As soon as she saw me, she sputtered a bunch of German words at me and then swiftly left. My ex-wife didn't understand what she was saying, thankfully. When she did ask me what my grandmother said, I lied. I told her that she had gotten into an argument with my aunt over the phone while we had been out. In truth, my grandmother had said, something is wrong with this place. I love you, but I will not return until you fix the demon within. What? I kept what she said to myself and never told my ex-wife for fear I would give her more reasons to stress and worry. In the following months, she would wake every night and go sleep in the high-backed armchair with the baby in my office. Some nights I would wake and go check on them just to find that one of the doors to the wardrobe would be slightly opened. 
She had no reason to open the door to this wardrobe because it hold, held only her wedding dress and old boxes of paperwork inside. The nights that I did check on them, I would tiptoe in, close the wardrobe door, put a blanket on the two sleeping in the chair, but then by morning, the door to the wardrobe would be open once more. Once I heard our dog barking furiously on the second floor while I was in the library. I rushed up to see her barking into my office with my ex-wife and my child backed into a corner, scared. My ex-wife was crying, but oddly enough, our son was not. I grabbed the dog by her collar and my wife darted out of the room screaming, that dog is going to kill us. But even as my ex-wife made her way into the hallway and away from the dog, the the dog continued to bark still inside the office. What was she barking at? I shut the door and convinced my wife that the dog was most likely just barking at a mouse that had made its way inside the house or something like Mm -hmm. that. She then forced me to keep the dog outside from this point on. This odd behavior continued until eventually she no longer slept in our bedroom. Our son no longer slept in his room either. Some nights I heard the dog barking from outside, but when I would investigate the exterior, I would find nothing unusual. My son was about six months old the first time I heard that clicking noise coming from him. Jeez. I was asleep and awoke out of breath as if someone had tried to smother me. The moment I caught my breath, I heard from the other room that unmistakable sound that my ex-wife had described to me. I found both the boy and his mother asleep in my office. I put my hand on his back and he was vibrating in unison with that clicking sound. My wife said, now you hear it? It's getting louder. I stood up not saying a word and as I did I heard the war- the door to the wardrobe creak open from outside and from outside I heard the thunderous bark from my dog start up again. I turned quickly, picked up my son from my wife's chest and started to make my way out of the house. I felt him vibrating and the noise growing louder and louder though he was still sound asleep. My wife let out an ear-piercing scream of anger towards me and both doors of the armoire flew open slamming against the wall. I ran as fast as I could out of the house into my car. Once I made it there, I turned to see my wife just standing in the doorway of the house. She looked like some kind of crazy menacing creature and appeared unable to leave the home. I got into the car, starting it and watching it, watching her still lurking there, half covered in shadows. My son and I actually slept in the car that night because I had somehow fallen asleep in the car. It made no sense. Once morning came, my wife was no longer in the doorway and my son and I were safe in the car. I made my way back inside and phoned a friend of my father's. He was an older man known to be a talented woodworker and carpenter. He would probably be interested in disassembling and refurbishing the wardrobe. I then justified giving it to him for free, thinking this was all in our heads. After he came and got it, life quickly went back to normal. My son smiled for the first time and I felt a weight had lifted from our home. It was almost two weeks later that I awoke, hearing that same clicking noise again, but this time it was coming from outside my window. I told myself it was just a dream and I was just freaking myself out. Still, I stayed up the rest of the night to be sure. Come morning, I decided to sit on the porch to enjoy the sunrise with coffee and yesterday's paper. As I was making my way to the front porch, I noticed something. From the front door, I could see a pile of wood in the yard close to the road like someone had tossed it out of a car. I knew instantly it was the wardrobe returned by the old man in the middle of the night. So fed up with it and the stress it brought to me, I decided to get a gas can and burn it in the yard right then and there. As it burned, I could swear I heard the wood screaming, but that sound only made me laugh loudly like some kind of crazy person, like I had lost my mind, like I had no control over this late laugh escaping my body. I was unable to get in touch with the old man. I imagined that he had just blocked my number. 
A few months later, I just couldn't let it go. I found his address and I drove to see him. I wanted to make sure I had not lost my mind and make sure he had returned the wardrobe due to it being cursed. I wanted someone to verify what I had experienced. At his house, his wife told me that the old man died of a heart attack just weeks after he visited my home, and then she asked me never to return. Since then, my son has grown and become an expressive, bright child. My ex-wife decided motherhood was not for her. She left me and moved to the East Coast. She hasn't seen her son since, but she, but we talk on occasion. It seems like that incident has affected her more than my son and I. I hope you enjoyed my retelling of the worst year of my life. I'm a fan and hope you guys keep up all the good work. Uh, That's a a creepy story. It's so weird. It's so freaking weird, right? Mm -hmm. It just like settled into me. I just kept like thinking about it yesterday. Like what the heck? Yeah, when you put yourself in that story and just think about like – yeah, if there was just any item, if there was just any item in your home that seemed to be changing either you or someone else in the home, mm-hmm. you know, like I just think about like, what if the kids, like, what if we got some like weird old toy? Right. And then I just picture like, what if all of a sudden Kyler just is like really like always had to have it in his room mm-hmm. and got weirdly angry if he tried to take it out of his room. I'd be like, oh, what the fuck is going on there? Right. Or when wrote, yeah, just yeah. Um, that, that, that image of when she was, um, when he took a son and went out to the car, uh-huh. and then she was standing there in the doorway uh-huh. like that, I could just see it so clearly in my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the the, the armoire uh-huh. um, doors like flying open at the same time. Just any any like so many different little points in that story. Just one of them alone mm-hmm. w- would just freak me out so badly. Well, yeah, and the thing about like her being pregnant and not wanting to take care of herself and needing to sleep in the moonlight and then taking the baby to sleep in the moonlight, like as if they were charging under the moonlight, like they needed it, you know, so bizarre. And I would imagine that, you know, this was a first time mom and a first time Mm -hmm. dad. So he's probably and what he didn't say in the story that I'm presuming is that the doctor probably thought it was postpartum depression, Mm -hmm. that there was some, you know. That happens. It's a very real thing that I don't think many women talk about, but it's a very real thing. That can kick in before you have the baby, like just like during the pregnancy. No, but, postpartum means after birth. Oh, I, so she was being more and more crazy after uh, the right birth. After. Okay, right? Yeah, it's like yeah. she was being a little strange during the pregnancy. Got but it. your hormones are flying. I'm, and again, yeah. like you're probably just thinking, like, ah, yeah, she's pregnant. She's moody. Maybe she had morning sickness. Like I don't mm-hmm. have the whole medical history of this woman, right? Yeah. So then you think like, oh, the baby will come and it'll be fine. And they were. They were so happy. And then she got real weird. And then yeah. the fact that she just left. She's fucking out. I know. Yeah, that's crazy. Just doesn't. Too. And and the the fact that he'd known her his whole life. It wasn't like she was like some random girl mm-hmm. that he rushed into a relationship with. Like he knew who she was. Their families were close. Good on him for, I guess, you know, like still be able to talk to her. Yeah. I'd be so furious with somebody. If they just like, um, you know, like you have a kid together and then they just bounced. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, that would take that would take it'd be real hard not yeah. to just be like, you know what? Call me back when you're ready to be a parent. But yeah, oof, I'm sure there's many more details around all that. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. But it just really like settled into me. Remember that yeah. one? I had yeah, it thanks. spooked me. And who was that? Was that anonymous? Anonymous. Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 They asked just of for course. the sake. Uh, that's right. That's right. In the beginning mm-hmm. because of not wanting to name family members, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this one is also quite good. Not anonymous. Uh, real spooky haunting in a house. Okay. Real spooky. Okay. I like today's episode. Me too. It feels good. It's creeptastic. Ooh. Getting lots of chills. Creeptastic. Look at mm-hmm. you with your fancy words. I know. I feel like there's like a little, if there was like a little um, meter, 
of how yeah. scary things are to me. That painting that that uh, fan did, that awesome painting of like your face kind of in the nun that's behind think... you. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. I don't think it, does, it doesn't show up in the cameras, but I can see I know. it. It's it's on the top shelf, and uh, you mean yeah? This? I I look at that. I look at that. Oh Jesus Christ! Well, I look at yours. Yours is like more Dexter esque, but this yeah. one is so terrifying. Yeah. I mean... So here's here's mine for people watching on yeah on on YouTube. Um, <laughs> but but I keep my eye. Oh, now I can't see. Oh yeah, because you put her down. So we'll put her up later. I have to put her up afterwards. But I I, I watch her. And if I if, if my mind starts playing tricks on me, and I think her eyes start to shift a little bit and look at me, I know I'm good and spooked. That's when I'm like, I like in it. the red zone of being spooked. I wish that we could have like a little, like I wish that your she squeezy really guy me. was uh, connected to like, you know, those like things at a carnival that you hit, and it's like however hard you. Oh hit. yeah, yep. How I hard wish you that your however hard you squeezed it, there was like a little mm. s- scare thermometer, a little strongman meter. <laughs> yeah, thank mm-hmm, you. Yeah, in the carnival. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, are you ready for one more? I am. Okay. So the story starts. Sorry in advance. I'm not the best at telling stories, but I need to share this experience with you both. Nope. Not going to hear it. If you're not the best at telling stories, get the fuck off our podcast. No, thank you. (laughs) Only the people who are the very best at telling stories uh, get to have their stories told here. We only like Stephen King here. That's it. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode. Appreciate it. Bye. (laughs) Can you imagine? (laughs) So ridiculous. Uh, In 2006... My family moved into a two-story home that had a cellar uh, that my great-grandparents had lived in. My great-grandpa had died the year before, and his wife didn't want to live alone, so she sold it to the funeral home next door. My parents ended up renting it out until Uh. the funeral home decided to demolish the house to make it a parking lot. I wasn't Already, ha- no thank you. All oh, right. Well, it gets better. I wasn't happy about the move as we would be living in between a funeral home and a cemetery. Sweet. With no other homes surrounding us. No thank you. Hard no. Hard no. My siblings and I would play in the cemetery and visit our grandparents' graves often. It might sound weird, but it actually was kind of nice to be near them again. My siblings and I had the two upstairs rooms. Me being the oldest, 10 at the time, I was given my own room. I was scared to be alone, but excited to not have to share a room. The first night, I fell asleep with no problems, but the next night was much different. Some very strange things started to happen. As I was going to sleep alone in my room, I started to hear scratching on the inside of my closet door. Mm. I immediately told my parents about the strange sounds. They brushed it off, telling me it was probably my brother in the room next to me and that I was just freaking myself out. This happened every night for approximately two months. And then one night, I was awoken to the white static sound coming from my TV. I got up to rewind my VHS when I heard a knocking on the window above me, followed by a soft voice saying, Hey, let let me in. What? I looked up and was paralyzed with fear. Two black humanoid figures were in a crouched position looking at me with big, dark eyes. One of them had a large, wide smile like he was happy to see me, but the other figure looked so angry. He stared at me in such a way that I knew he wanted to hurt me. I was frozen in fear. I was finally able to let out a blood-curdling scream and then ran as fast as I could down the stairs. I made it to my parents' room and started yelling at them, There are two people outside my window! (laughs) My dad grabbed his handgun and ran up the stairs. When (laughs) When he reached my room, he found nothing except 
a fogged up window with a handprint on the outside of the window. He proceeded to run around the yard looking for signs of an attempted mm-hmm. intruders or some kind of prankster, but he found nothing. From that day on, I slept on the couch. A few days after this, my mother confronted me and asked me if I had been dreaming or if I'd made it up. She clearly did not want this to be true. I promised her that I was telling her the absolute truth. And with that, my mother believed every word I said and immediately called a psychic that came the very same day. When the psychic walked into our house, it looked as if she had been pushed back by a strong gust of wind. She looked at my mother and told her that we were living among many spirits in the home. She went on to say that she didn't feel anything wrong with them and that they were quote-unquote good spirits. She told her that one was attached to her and described her father in perfect detail, and my mother cried instantly. She then asked to see the cellar. We opened the door, and she took one step in and refused to go down any more steps. There is something here that is evil, and I cannot be a part of this any longer, she said, and she walked away. My mother just shut the door and told my siblings and I to never go down there ever again. My sister, Seven, was a fearless kid, and about a week later or so, after the psychic had come to visit us, she opened that cellar door and began to walk down it as my six-year-old brother watched. At about the fourth step, she somehow tripped over nothing at all and rolled down the remaining stairs. Screaming out in agony, my sister begged for help. My brother ran for my (laughs) father, who promptly then ran down the stairs to get my sister. He found her at the bottom of the stairs with a broken leg. It just didn't make sense that she would be injured so severely from a tumble down just a few stairs. We moved six months later. Thank you for the lifelong STD, your peeper, Miranda. Thanks, Miranda. GTFO. Yeah, they got the fuck out. Well, yeah, that place was demolished. Oh, right, right. They Made had into to. a parking lot. I wonder, never mind. I was going to say, I wonder if the cellar is still like somehow under there, but yeah. I guess that doesn't make any sense. They would fill it up. Yeah, they would fill it up. You wouldn't like just leave a cellar open because then, yeah. Yeah, because uh, the, then the pavement it would. would. Collapse, it would collapse, yeah. I mean, but what do you think was in that house? Did you think it was something from the oh, cemetery no. or something from the funeral home? You've got really good options. I don't know. Eek. I did get a great email this week. I, I know like on Time Suck, you do updates from fans. And I know that that's yeah. not something we really do on this show. Yeah. But I do occasionally like to mention, you know, some things that people mm-hmm. write in to tell us that are maybe not stories. Mm-hmm. And so a funeral home director did write in mm-hmm. just kind of saying like, you know, you've kind of got it a little bit wrong. It's not as spooky as you think. You know, it's more technical. Uh, like uh, dealing with the dead bodies? Yeah. And then they went on to say that, you know, like, actually a lot of their job is just paperwork and, you know, helping the families through a really hard time, you know, and just that it's, they actually take a lot of pride in what they do because, you know, someone's coming in with, Mm -hmm. they weren't upset at all. They were just kind of saying like, yeah, "Yeah, we know all the old, you know, jokes around the profession, (laughs) but like, it's really not that. I'm sure you acclimate uh, to it. I mean, it's amazing what people can get used to. Yeah. It's just like, for me... Having never been around, I mean, I guess that fear of the unknown mm-hmm. and just facing your own mortality when you haven't had to in sure. that way where it's like, I've never been around a dead body. Seriously? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You're always surprised. I've told you this so many times. I you're know, always just, surprised. I know. But I think it's just because like my family very tragically had yeah. several years of just like, it, it just felt like every month someone was dying. True, true, and yeah. I've spent so much of my like fourth through eighth grade years in funeral homes. Mm-hmm, I was mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, dead body. Okay. Yeah. See, I mean, I just didn't have that experience. So to me- right. My only experience is just like books, movies, hearing about it. Right. You know, so just like to confront it, I'm sure 
Like, like if I had to work at one, mm-hmm. I'm sure I'd be freaked out for a while. Mm-hmm. And then over time, I would get used to it. I don't think that I would not be freaked out. But after a while. Yeah. Because it, it's a dead body is. Mm-hmm. No, I think like you're freaked like, out. You get used awkward. to it. You make love to it. You have you keep it in your own possession, and you yeah. put like a dummy in the casket so you can ha- have it. Yeah, and you like hold it. Mm-hmm. That's how I. It. That's how I picture my trajectory. That's good. No, I was dead just bodies ridiculous. are so they uh, are yeah. so weird because they're like when you go to a funeral and it's open casket, which is what all of my family did. I don't know if that's yeah, like yeah, normal yeah, yeah. or like if there's different cultures have different mm-hmm. burial. Right, right, like Italian people, like true Italians. I remember. <laughs> I'm well, sorry, I'm the most ridiculous. I'm such a ridiculous person. I'm trying to like my brain's being flooded with horrible images right now. What are you? What are you? I don't know why. I don't know where it's popped in okay. my head. I'm used to it. What's up? <laughs> but for my own funeral, I was just patient that I have an open casket, but um, full on like bozo, big top bozo, clown makeup and clown wig. And so if that's what you want. I'll do it. <laughs> or just something preposterous where it's like it's a solemn occasion. But people, like, as they're paying their respects in the line, are constantly like, oh, get, get the fuck out of Dan. here. Dan. Oh, Dan. Oh, Dan. Yeah, I got me. One last joke. One last joke. Yeah. How, and then maybe when how you, original from the comedian. <laughs> and then maybe when you step on the, like, the little whatever right next to pay your respects, like, to my open casket, it would make the, the honking, <laughs> the nose, yeah, clown noise. <laughs> like, whatever that little noise is. Uh-huh. Oh my god, that'd be so good. Okay, be so good. I got, I got out of my system. Okay, now. good. I'm glad. But I just want to say, like, you know, like a a dead body is so. Um, when you see a body in a casket, mm-hmm. it's so cold and like, grayed because the blood, the fluid, and then the whole face has so much thick makeup on it to make the person look presentable. Oh. It is really a bit. I mean, I have. I don't know why my family thought like this is what we do, but like everyone would be like reach in and touch the hand of the person and like say a little prayer. I'd have I'd have a hand buzzer in my hand for that. I got you. <laughs> What's gonna happen to you when you actually like lose somebody? Do you think you're gonna just I'd be, be so like, sad, Mister Jokes? No, is I'll that be how so you're sad. gonna cope? No, I'll be so well. Yes, that's how I've always coped. Mm-hmm. It's just absurdism. Mm-hmm. There'll be some of that, but I'll, but I also am a big softie, and I'll get so sad. So sad. I wonder what your family will do for funerals. Like, will they be? Do you know if your family will be like an open casket family or cremation? We're a trampoline family. <laughs> Someone passes, you gotta put them on a trampoline, and then you just bounce them. And then for the funeral service, everyone has to spike them at least once. You have to bounce them <laughs> or a double That's... bounce. Spike, you call it spike. Mm-hmm. Most people call it a double, double bounce. Double bounce. Then whoever bounces them the highest, they get to take home the punch bowl. <laughs> it's a long-standing tradition. Well, if you can't laugh about it, you know. <laughs> True. Oh my goodness. And then I just I don't know why. And then for that little scene, I was yeah. I was um, hearing the Benny Hill music. <laughs> People just fucking bouncing. And so beautiful. Death their grandparents, whatever. Uh, oh boy. Okay. Oh boy. <laughs> oh, enough talking about death. Uh, that was a fun episode. That it was, was fun. fun. Episode. It was fun. Um, okay, so I, I moved some stuff to the back that I want to mention now, and oh. I know you have some things to weigh in here too. I do. Uh, I didn't talk about merch at the beginning, but there there is a, a new tee in the store today at badmagicmerch.com, mm-hmm. a shadow comic tee. Super cool. Super cool. 1980s horror comic book vibe. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, and we've gotten a lot of emails. Yeah, like uh, people write in and say, you know, how can we support the show? And previously, we've always said, you know, like rate, review, spread the word. And yes, all of that is true. That is true for like helping us get sponsors and helping us get attention and grow the show. 
show, which is, you know, right. It's a business. It's part yeah. of like making it happen. But the thing that most directly helps us is buying the merch. It's how we're able to, you know, pay for the designs and pay for the customer service and keep the lights on and, yeah. and just keep going. So for those of you asking, that yeah. is the most direct way to help us. Yeah. So thanks. Uh, thanks to the many of you who already do that. Yeah. And, and thanks for also the, the ratings and reviews. You know, yeah, those are uh, also still important. Mm-hmm. And the boost, All the things. And the boost from Spotify and Pandora. A lot of new listeners from those. Uh, a lot of new creeps and peepers. So glad most of you seem to really enjoy the show based on recent ratings and reviews. So thank yeah. you. Uh, and that's all for today. That's it. Uh, thanks for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Love those. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks to Heather Rylander for organizing those stories. Uh, for everything else, please email info me, at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Talk to me. Thanks for supporting this Bad Magic production. Thanks to Logan and Kate Keith for running social media, creating the awesome merch at badmagicmerch.com. Thanks to Zach Flannery and Joe Paisley for producing, directing, adding, and creating the custom sound beds. Thanks to producer uh, Sophie Evans for story curation. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you want even more content at Scared to Death Podcast. Subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube. Enjoy your nightmares, creeps, and peepers. Stay safe out there. Keep fighting for what you believe is right and hope you were scared to death. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through but have no home here within scared to death. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night, no matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great.